that's a question that often stumps people. And I ask that question every time I'm I'm in a public setting. Power to live more with Joe Dodds. Welcome to the Power to Live More podcast, all about productivity, organization, well-being, energy, and resilience. I'm Jo Dodds and I started this show to enable interesting people to share their stories about how they use their power to live more and by that I mean to do the stuff that they want to do more than the stuff that they need to or should do. It's about creating a life for yourself where you have the energy, health and space to be happy and fulfilled, spending your time as you'd like, whether that be at work, home or somewhere else entirely. That's your choice. My name is Ellie Dodds and I'm co-presenter and today Joe's interviewing Kim Addis of Frame of Mind Coaching. Joe found Kim on the podcast guest list that she scours each week to find some of our amazing guests. Kim is the president and founder of Frame of Mind Coaching and Journal Engine Software. Author, speaker, entrepreneur, coach and mother of five, Kim has 15 years of experience coaching many of North America's most respected leaders. Recognised as an expert in the area of thought mastery, Kim uses her unique philosophy and quirky coaching style to help her clients deal with core issues and shift their thinking in order to yield extraordinary results. Back to the studio. Today I'm interviewing Kim Addis of Frame of Mind Coaching. Welcome Kim, thanks for joining me. I am super excited to be talking to you today. You have always been in my field of vision and finally I get to talk to you. <laughs> Brilliant. Lovely. So tell us a bit about who you are, what you do, and crucially, where you do it. So I'm in Toronto, Canada, and uh, I run a coaching company called Frame of Mind Coaching. We have a team of coaches uh, that have all been trained and certified in the Frame of Mind Coaching method. And essentially what we do is we coach leaders, executives, like the high, highly driven population. And what we do is we look at how they think and how their thinking impacts their outcomes so that they can build up a, a level of mental, mental strength and stamina in order for them to reach their goals quickly and easily. Lovely. And do you, where do you work? Do you, do you work from home? Are you in an office? Oh, no, no, no. I'm in an office uh, mm-hmm. in Toronto, but our coaches are all over the world. So we have, well, all over North America. Mm-hmm. So we have mm-hmm. some in Canada, we have some in the United States. So they're spread out all over the place. Cool. And I guess some of those people will be working from home and other people's offices and coffee shops. <laughs> well, we don't like the coffee shop concept because <laughs> our coaching calls are pretty are pretty uh, confidential and discreet, that kind of thing. Uh, but a lot of the coaches are, uh, have their own companies, their full-time executives and leaders in their own right. And so mm-hmm. every single one of our coaches was a, started off being a client first. So they went through the coaching process. They went, holy smokes, that was amazing. How do I become mm-hmm. a coach? It's interesting, actually. We, um, I, was, I work with the Engage for Success movement in the UK as one of um, the things that I do. I, I specialize in employee engagement. And we had a meeting yesterday, and we were talking about uh, doing some research around uh, coaching within organizations and, and the sort of impact on employee engagement. And we were actually discussing how being a, an internal coach can be quite different to being an external coach, even given that those people often are working with the same people. Um, 
but you're sort of coming at it from a different perspective. So it's quite interesting to hear that you've got people who were in one role sort of being coached <laughs> and are now sort of outside of that with their own business. Have people moved from corporate what? to well, well. Uh, so so let me clear that up. So they coach for frame of mind coaching while they are doing their own thing. So for mm -hmm. example, I have one who owns an optometry uh, business. I have one who owns a property management business. I have one who owns a financial services business. So they're all in their own industries doing their thing and they're coaching also. And yes. the, the ideology, just to go back to this whole idea of employee engagement is that uh, leaders are better when they have coaching skills under their belt. Yeah. Right. So what we want to do is not only create, I mean, we want to help to create internal coaching environments, but ideally we want to help all the leaders in organizations learn how to coach, which looks very different so that they don't have to go away from their leader to get the coaching they need, but mm. they build that kind of relationship with the person they're reporting to in order to kind of uh, together collaboratively reach joint goals that's a mm. whole different picture mm, yeah absolutely well I, I will bear that in mind when uh, we kick off our research because uh, we weren't looking to go outside of the uk but <laughs> yeah <laughs> never please. want to look a gift horse in the mouth <laughs> please knock on my door <laughs> so how did you end up doing what you do what what was the sort of um journey to, to to being in this this place um with so, these people now yeah so i mean i'm I let, let, call me a serial entrepreneur so uh, before i started this company which you know i've been doing this for 15 years but before that i owned a software company and we used to build simulation based assessments for the purpose of helping companies make better hiring decisions and we we're building simulations when simulations weren't even popular or cool yet like when like truly at the leading edge of this technology mm -hmm. and so uh, we were looking at you know what makes a top performer is it their skill set is it their intelligence is it their personality what is it and and so we tested for all of those things and we discovered a very important thing so for different roles maybe different characteristics or strengths are important but across the board no matter what the role was no matter what the position was no matter what the industry was there was one key characteristic or strength that over overshadow everything else that could determine or tell us was a very strong indicator of uh, top performance or let's call it exceptional performance. And that was if a person had a high degree of emotional resilience, they would be more likely to succeed than others by a significant amount. Mm -hmm. And so th that finding was very interesting because we tested people in all kinds of industries at all kinds of levels in organizations. And so uh, I ended up selling my company and uh, I got recruited and I started working for a coaching company here in Toronto. And as I was working there, I, I was hired as their VP of marketing. I sort of looked at how they did their coaching and I thought, I think they're doing it wrong. I don't think that this is the right model. I think there's something seriously flawed with this and I think I could do a better job. And so I stepped away and I said, well, how would I do it? You know, what do I think is the right way? And that's when I created Frame of Mind Coaching uh, with the emphasis, the focus on rather than helping people reach goals through a process of 
holding them accountable and making sure they're doing all the right things, but rather focusing on helping them build their emotional resilience and looking at how they think and how their thinking is impacting their outcomes. So totally different. Mm-hmm. And so tell us a bit more about what that means. So the frame of mind coaching, I guess that's where <laughs> the name comes from. Yes. Um, what, how does that work? So, so philosophically, you know, the idea behind it is that leaders have the greatest influence over their companies, specifically the way leaders think. And so if, if we agree to that idea, right, I start a company, the company is a reflection of me as a leader. And so the good parts and the bad parts, the places where the company is healthy and the places where the company isn't so healthy, it's all a reflection of the leadership. And so what I want to do is I want to look at how a leader thinks and how their thinking has a trickle-down effect in their organization. And so essentially that's what frame of mind coaching is, is to look at how leaders think and how their thinking is impacting everything they see, hear, smell, taste, and touch. And then help them to align their thinking with their goals and desires. Because when you see a problem, when you see, let's say, a place where a company is stuck or even a person is stuck, that is a reflection of their thinking. And, and all it needs is a little tweak. And how do you do that? How do your coaches work to help people to do that? Great question. So what we do is we start off with a six-month coaching period. And that six months is broken down into two components, the first 10 weeks and then the rest. So in the first 10 weeks, there's a call once a week, and we record every call. Why do we do that? So that we can uh, invite our clients to start to listen to the recording so that they can hear how they sound, the words they use, the stories they tell, the perspectives they have, and they can start to pick up where they keep getting stuck over and over and over again. So we really want to increase their self-awareness by through this process of listening and observing themselves. The second thing we do is we ask our clients to journal in a private and secure online journal with their coach every single day for those first 10 weeks. So imagine at the beginning of the week, they're getting a journaling question or a prompt and they start journaling. Their journal goes to their coach who then reads and responds to their journal every day. So what happens is that the coach is gathering a ton of information and that information, that data allows us to connect the dots. So what's really happening? Where do they get stuck? Where did they get trapped? How do their beliefs influence their behaviors and then their outcomes? How does this all work together? How is this person wired? And how, in, in, in what ways is their wiring helping them? And in what ways is their wiring getting them into situations or uh, emotional states that cause them problems? So when someone is journaling with you every single day, what happens? Your relationship becomes very intimate and that relationship allows the client to move at a very, very rapid pace because they're stripping down and really taking the time to look at themselves in a safe, totally safe environment. And so they travel very quickly. After mm -hmm. those first 10 weeks are over, we slow it down. We have a call once every two weeks. Calls are still recorded and they're still journaling. Uh, maybe they slow it down a little bit, but not, not that much. It's just what we're focused on now is how do we take what we learned in the first 10 weeks and start really implementing it or integrating it into all the nooks and crannies of their lives. So typically leaders come to us for a business or a leadership assistance, but then they start to notice, hey, the way I lead is very, very linked to the way I parent and the way I show up as a partner at home and the way that I 
uh, treat my parents, all of it, right? And so we touch on all of it. There's no distinction for us between a leader and how he or she operates in a work setting and how he or she operates in a home setting. Mm. A lot of my guests talk about journaling as being something that they found really useful. But I, I think some people also don't want to see the value of it because it's, you know, uh, writing, <laughs> uh, right. you know, every day or whatever. Um, sell, sell that concept. You, you've started to, obviously. <laughs> yeah, well, well, you know, it depends who I'm talking to, right? Am I talking to a coach or a consultant who says, hey, you know, should I get my clients to journal? Let me just say that from a coaching standpoint, it's, it's absolutely a game-changing uh, piece of the coaching process because if I don't know my clients well, there's no way I can coach them effectively. And that journaling allows me an insight that's unprecedented anywhere. So from a coaching or consulting standpoint, getting your clients to journal, like I don't even know how people do it without a journal. So, so that's mm. part A. But as a, a human being, why do I journal? Because journaling allows me to unload all the call it crap that I live with day in and day out and we all have it there's no exception and it allows me to redirect myself point myself in the right direction and it gives me a place where I can observe when I can where I can observe how I'm showing up where I'm oriented what direction I'm pointed in and and it helps me to redirect to where I want to go and to, to the goals that I want to achieve rather than sitting in this mucky place that we all find ourselves in periodically Mm-hmm. That was a pretty good pitch. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and you know, let's think it back to the, the emotional resilience. I mean, it's something that I um, talk about in relation to leaders all the time. And I think it's so important as business owners as well to, to be really resilient. And I think even sort of more important than ever, because there's so much, you know, going on around us and changing all the time. Um, What's your sort of view on, on how important it is? Obviously, it drove your whole business in the first yeah. place. So, you know, tell well, us a bit more about your thoughts on that. Yeah, so, so I mean, let's kind of define emotional resilience for a minute. What is that? Emotional resilience is the ability to get back up from adversity. So uh, a person with a high degree of emotional resilience, everybody falls, everybody gets knocked down, but that person will be able to rebound quickly and not only that, leverage the adversity, do something good with it, turn it into an advantage. And so th that requires the type of thinking that is significantly different from, let's call it the average population, where they see their situation and go, okay, so this happened. I'm not going to sit in that muck for very long. I'm going to take it and run with it and turn it into something that is useful, no matter what that something is. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah, so, and that, yeah, yeah so you, on, sorry. Mm -hmm. you, you even see parents who lose their children to suicide or to, you know, some kind of illness. And what do they do? They, they decide to make it their mission to make a difference. Right. Mm -hmm. So, right. That's what they do. They turn it into something that has meaning and purpose where it's, it, yes, they've had a terrible experience, but they turn it into something that has uh, value for others. Yeah, yeah. So that absolutely makes sense. And that to me would um, naturally be people who tend to be more optimistic and, you know, forward thinking and, and all that sort of thing. Where you have people who where that isn't natural for them, how developable, developable, developable is 
is it? Because it well, needs so, to be, but you know, it sounds really difficult. <laughs> yeah, you know what? It, it can be difficult because some people just have a natural tendency to like look at the the dark side of things. Mm. Uh, the question that I always pose to my clients is: Is that a view getting you where to where you want to go? And so, for me, coaching, and I, I've tried to say this to people. It's hard to understand. It's a little bit of a, a math problem, right? So, and let me try to explain what that is. The beliefs you have end up uh, leading to the expectations you have and then to your behaviors and then ultimately to your outcomes. And so what is a negative point of view? What is like this, this ideology of being negative or uh, pessimistic? It comes from a set of beliefs, right? So I believe things aren't gonna turn out well. That's, that's what being pessimistic is essentially. Mm -hmm. And so, so, but that belief doesn't line up with your goal, period. It just doesn't work out, right? They don't go together. It's a mismatch. Yeah. yeah. And so you might have several beliefs about a thought or an idea or a goal. And if those beliefs do not line up with that goal or desire, you'll find it a lot harder to reach your goal or desire. So when we look at all your beliefs and we add them up, you know, do they line up with your goal? Is there something in your beliefs that's slowing you down? So it's literally, if you if, if you assign numbers to your beliefs and some of your beliefs are negative, the equal sign isn't gonna work out, right? <laughs> yeah. And I've never said it quite that way, right? Like it's the first time I share this thought publicly, but it's it's really a math problem that says, hey, if I have a goal, and usually, what, what do people do? They say, okay, I have a goal. What are the things I need to do to achieve this goal, right? They take action. Okay, I must not be doing something right. There's, you know, okay, fine. I'm going to put a plan in place. I'm going to do all these things. However, what the, the structure is this, is that doing or action follows thought. So first we think, then we behave, then we take action. And if our thoughts aren't lined up with the goal, no matter how much action we take, we're not gonna get the outcomes we want. So, mm -hmm. so this formula is really important to take a look at. And very often when we're frustrated, we turn to the actions. And what I encourage people to do is hold on a minute, let's slow down, let's not worry about the actions. Our, your actions tell us how you're thinking. Let's start with looking at how you're thinking and what you believe to be true. If your beliefs don't line up with your goals, that's where the first adjustment needs to take place. It's kind of like mm -hmm. saying, I have back pain, I have shoulder pain, but you know what, your shoulders rest on your, you know, it's all lined up, right? It, and your back sits on your hips and your hips sit on your legs. But if, if you have some kind of strain in your knee and you don't fix your knee, you can do a million things to your shoulders, it's not going to help, yeah. right? So, so this is what we want to do. We want to look at the foundation. We look, want to look at the starting point, which is what are your beliefs? And are your beliefs enabling you to reach your goals? If not, we need to make a little bit of an adjustment. And how do we do that with the beliefs then? I, I'm, I'm, I've been sort of applying what you've said to my mum, my late mum, so she's not going to be listening to this, okay. <laughs> who, who complained about everything and moaned about everything um, yeah. and also believed that it was all going to be terrible. And obviously, as you've just said, <laughs> quite often it was because that was her, her belief. Yeah. Um, I couldn't ever change anything, but maybe I wasn't aiming at the belief. Maybe I was 
aiming at, as you say, you know, the action or the or the sort of um, the, the discussion about it, not the fundamental belief. How do we get to that fundamental belief? Well, so to me, what's interesting is, and what I'm curious about is, how did your mother's behavior and actions and speech affect you? That's it really made me the opposite. <laughs> yeah, but 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 how did you interact with her? You know, how did you deal with her? And so so that's the interesting part because we are often exposed to people who are negative, right? Mm -hmm. It happens. And the yeah. question is, how do we interact with those people? Right? How yeah. do do those people affect us? Do those people it, it kind of infect us in one way or another? Or do we try our hardest to change those people? Right? And, yes. and, and if we allow them to infect us, it's not very good because then we're infected and we become negative too. But the alternative, which is we try to change them, is also not good, which says uh, we're not good with somebody else's negativity. So in other yeah. words, we need someone else to change in order for us to be happy, right? Mm -hmm. And so, mm -hmm. so it, it's a bit of a trap and we all get stuck in it. We all want somebody else, whether it's our children, our, our parents, our spouses, our partners, our colleagues at work, that we all want them to behave a certain way so that we can be happy. And the moment we let go of that, our happiness increases. And the moment we say, okay, they're negative, that's okay. I don't need them to change in order for me to be happy. Their negativity mm. actually decreases. Mm. Right? It's a weird, yeah. weird thing. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I mean, I think some of the benefits to me ended up being, apart from the fact that I was optimistic anyway, it was about getting practiced at coming up with uh, sort of different solutions. And if that, you know, wasn't going to work, another solution and being sort of open to, you know, there's there's many ways to, to resolve things personally. Um, well, what your you know, mother did yeah. was provided a lot of contrast for you. Yes. And you yes. sort of went to your, you sort of looked at your mother and you said, I don't want that. I want mm -hmm. this other thing. So I'm going to go that way. Mm -hmm. But a lot yeah, of but, people, a mm -hmm. lot of people don't, don't have the ability to make that turn to say, here's what I would rather have. Instead, they look at their mother and they just say, I don't want that. I don't want mm -hmm. that. I don't want that. That can't be. We've got to change it. And what they're doing is actually focused on the very thing they don't want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But as you say, it's about that fundamental belief uh, system in the first place. And that's that's um, so, so challenging, I guess. And as you say, we can't change it for other people per se. But I guess it's about asking them and supporting them to enable them to change. Well, if they want to change, or great. If, they want to change, yeah. if not, that's OK, too. <laughs> so what do you, you do know, in a coaching situation where somebody doesn't want to change? I guess if they've asked you to come and coach them and then they don't want to do the work, I suppose that's that's telling in itself. Well, what I do is I say, what is your goal? Yeah. And my my purpose as a coach is to help people reach their goals, whatever that goal is. And usually the goal, by the way, isn't something so tangible like I want to. Yes, they want to increase their revenues or they want to, you know, reach a level of success or they want to inc increase their productivity. But usually the goal is something like, I just want to feel more peaceful. I want things to come to me with greater ease. I want to experience more joy and exhilaration. When it boils down to it, they're after an emotional state that mm -hmm. allows them to feel better more, most often, more of the time. At the end of the day, why anybody wants anything is so that they can feel better. Right. Well, yeah, 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 definitely. One of the things I find with people when we're talking about uh, perhaps uh, organizing things, being more productive, working a different way to enable them to have more time to do the things that they want to do, they often don't actually know what those things are because they don't have the chance to do it enough to have ever really thought about it. Do you find that 
in the same way when you're asking people what their goals are that actually quite often people don't actually know what they are really well they don't but i mean even uh something as simple as what is your goal with your child right like they'll say my child doesn't listen to me well, okay well what's your goal is your goal in life for your child to listen to you and to follow your instructions hmm. right and they kind of go wait a minute <laughs> right no that's not actually my goal so what is your goal right it's you know and so you're 100% right when you ask people what is it that you really really want that's a that's a question that often stumps people and i ask that question every time i'm i'm in a public setting where i'm the speaker right what is mm. it that you really really want and people have to stop and really think at first they say oh well i want this car and i want this house and i want to you know all these things but what it boils down to is i just want to feel happy i want mm. to feel good I want to feel at peace. I don't want to feel stressed. You know, I, I want to have a harmonious relationships. I want to live an expansive, exciting, interesting life. Mm, okay, mm. let's go for that. Yeah. You know, I'll tell you a, a very, mm. very quick story. One day I was um, introduced to a gentleman by a client, but the client said, you know, I have a friend, I want you to coach him, but I want you to treat him with kid gloves. I was like a bit shocked because I thought, why would you tell me that? Also, I'm pretty direct. I don't really coach with kid gloves. Um, <laughs> so I thought, oh, um, you know, explain to me why this, your friend needs kid gloves. And he said, well, he has stage four cancer. I said, okay. So I got onto the phone with this, this gentleman and he was young in his early thirties. And I said, okay, I have two questions. Number one, uh, how long do you have left to live? Tough question to ask someone, right? He yeah. said, I'm guessing about two years. I said, okay, what is it that you are looking to achieve, to get as a result of coaching? He says, well, I really want you to help me increase my productivity. I was kind of floored, <laughs> absolutely floored. I yeah. said, what do you mean? And he said, well, I, I run this business, but I really need to like, you know, put more hours in the day and make sure those hours are super productive because I need to increase our revenues and I need to increase our profitability because I need to leave something behind for my family. And really, really like, I just feel like I could be more focused and I can get more done in a day. And can you help me with that? Oh I my said, goodness. hold on a minute, <laughs> hold on a minute. What is it that you really, really want? And he said, well, what I really, really want is, I really, really want to be in a healthy relationship. And what I want is to take my mother on these grand vacations. And what I want is to run a marathon and I wanna buy a house. And I wanna have like Thursday night dinners with a group of friends and I wanna grow my business. I said, well, why don't we do that? <laughs> right? And so yeah. what we did was we examined the thinking, the beliefs that slowed him down from really truly growing a business. And the key belief was I have to do everything. I have to touch every client and I have to be involved in every, in every sale and in every deliverable. Okay, well, that's not gonna help him grow. Mm. And, and so the question became, well, what if we got some people in place? What if he started recruiting and hiring and putting the right people in place? And his other belief was, well, I can't afford it. And in my mind, I'm thinking, you have two years left to live. You can't afford not to. Yeah. Right. And so we really looked at his thinking and started implementing the things that would allow his company to grow. So it's been four years. And not only did his company grow, he sold a good chunk of his company and got the, you know, the, the cash that he was looking mm -hmm. for for his family. Mm -hmm. He bought a house. He's an amazing relationship. He ran a triathlon and he, he took his mother on two amazing trips. Wow. So, 
So when we start to look at what is it that you really, really want, it's very different when you stop and think as compared to what you think you want. Yeah. Right. Or what is expected of you or what other people want from you. It's a different kind of conversation when you really dig deep and say, what is it that I want for me? Mm-hmm. That's <laughs> the fact that four years later, as you say, all those things, that's such a different uh, outcome to, to the original discussion as well, isn't it? It's quite right. uh, profound. Totally mm. different. Mm. So when we were preparing for the interview, you um, you mentioned that you don't recommend uh, seeking a, a work-life balance. And I'm starting to understand what you're probably going to say instead <laughs> from what you've told me already. But tell us a bit more about that. I, I personally don't talk about work-life balance either. I talk about integration because I always think that there isn't a balance. It's It's what you need to do at the time for the things that suit you, depending on what you want. (laughs) What's your thought? (laughs) My thought is this, is like, you know, this idea of balance is a little like misunderstood and I think way overrated. So let's just say you're walking through a park and I don't know if you have this in the UK, we call them seesaws. Do you have seesaws? Yes, we do. Yeah. Okay. So, so you're, you see a seesaw and you see two kids on the seesaw and what happens when those kids are in perfect balance? Have you gone? No, I'm still here. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I, I'm looking. I'm looking for a cool answer. What happens? It's boring. It's boring. Nothing happens. Right? It's not exciting. So, like, is it is it good to kind of get to that state periodically, once in a while, just for a short breather? Sure. But really, but really, what we're after is being able to handle the highs and lows that the seesaw offers. This, let's call the seesaw life, right? So yeah. it's, it's, it's the ability to be thrilled at other, either end of that seesaw, to handle the bumps when you drop down, to, to, to be thrilled on the, on the ups, right? And, and really, that's what we're after. We're after the resilience to be able to handle all that life throws at us and live it with a sense of glee, passion, and joy. That's what we're after. We're not really after balance. Yeah, okay, periodically. Let's pause for a moment. Good idea, but we don't want to live in the pause state. We don't. No, that's that's, that's such a, a, a great illustration of that. I wrote an article for my uh, website recently, um, in fact, this week, about uh, work-life balance, integration, whatever, whatever. Uh, and I was referring to, um, uh, oh, I can't remember what his name is, Vardy. Uh, the product productivityist, and he talks about changing gear, um, which I've always liked as a story in terms of uh, you know not having balance. I think I I even love this better, <laughs> the visual that uh, that that sort of creates, as you say, of those children sitting there balanced. <laughs> right. I mean, it's great, but now what? <laughs> right. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So tell us about your um, life and how you organize yourself to 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 have those highs and lows and not not that boring balance. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I can't even have that boring. I have five kids, and let me tell you, they don't allow for boring. Um, <laughs> uh, so how do I organize my life? So uh, uh, you know, for me. It's something that I constantly need to remind myself of is to take the time for myself. I need the time for myself. And when I take the time for myself, then my productivity dramatically increases. So it's a little bit counterintuitive 
to slow down in order to speed up, but that's really the principle. And so what I do every morning is actually, even recently I decided, I used to start work at 10, now I start work normally at 11 now, which is crazy, right? But uh, especially for an entrepreneur, uh, uh, but I do, I start work at 11 and I stay till six, six thirty, which is perfectly fine. But those hours are crammed in. And what do I do in the morning? I journal, I go for a walk. I prepare my, like a nutrition, nutritious meal. I write a little bit. I think a little bit. I kind of put some ideas together, but I take that time for myself. You know, I take a little bit of a longer shower. I, you know, moisturize my skin, whatever the heck I'm supposed to do, but I take that time for myself. And then mm. when I come to work, I'm a powerhouse. I just go. Mm. That's it's really quite unusual. I, I do a similar thing. I, I don't work until probably more like 11 o'clock, if not later sometimes as well. Um, but it is quite unusual when I say that people, you know, often are sort of, oh, you know, you can't have much to do. But as you say, you just, pack it in the rest of the time or you know have different pockets of time for different purposes and as you say the mornings are the, the the time to get that energy I guess for the for the rest of it well exactly and I I just think like normally I, I mean before this I, I just gave so much of myself to everything mm. right and that's just the way I'm wired and so I realized I just need personal time even like going for a 30 minute walk with nobody around nobody to talk to just me and myself you know, no even music, nothing, just me and my thoughts and sometimes no thoughts, just looking at, hey, how come that tree has no leaves and this tree has a bunch of leaves and it's the same time of the year, you know, hmm. whatever it is, but just giving yourself time and space to, to just breathe and process so that you can come back full steam ahead and just really, I, I can't tell you how much my productivity has increased Mm, doing mm, that alone. Mm. So you're managing a business which has, has, has got representation across um, a, a wide geographical area. Um, you have people who support you. How, how do you make sure the things get done that need to get done? And from what you were saying earlier, that it isn't always you that's doing them. <laughs> yeah, so, so I have a team. So I'm not the only coach. We have a team of coaches. Uh, we have someone in charge of operations who happens to be my husband, which he's amazing, like full operations. We have our software that we use for journaling. So he takes care of all development on that product. He takes care of all our clients. We license out that software to other coaches, speakers, trainers, etc. And he takes care of all the financial aspects. So it's amazing. And then we have someone who does sales and we have someone who does all the digital marketing. So my job is to steer the ship. My job is to make sure that our intellectual property is always being developed. And my job is to be the voice of the company and, and provide coaching and training to the people on my team. And how have you reached that point from starting presumably as it just being you? Because it can be quite hard sometimes to, to divvy that stuff up and then sort of step away. Oh, I love stepping away. Um, <laughs> how, well, you know what? Like, uh, I, I always have this this kind of um, ideology in my head is like, I really like to do X, Y, and Z. I need to find someone to do X, Y, and Z. So I have that mentality. Hmm. I've always had that mentality. And I know that the value of my company increases uh, when I have things in place that are, let's call them automated or not dependent on me. So my mm. whole entire purpose, even today, like I'm still not quite there yet, but my whole entire purpose is to replace myself. 
Mm-hmm. You have to replace your husband as well, otherwise you won't be able to go and do stuff together. <laughs> yeah, he's pretty good. He never leaves my side. We're together 24-7. I travel a lot, and as often as uh, we can, he comes with me, so not a problem yeah. he does a lot of work virtually so yeah, yeah he's yeah. got a suitcase ready to go anytime <laughs> I say so <laughs> excellent so what about um technology tools apps you said you've got your own um tech for the the journaling what what other tools do you use and recommend so that product is called journal engine and that's something we created in-house and I absolutely I can't coach without it it's a huge part of what we do the second thing that we use quite a bit is LinkedIn. Uh, mm-hmm. We're on there all the time, connecting with people. We have a LinkedIn group that we've started, and so that's a huge uh, kind of app that we use on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, last but not, I mean, I have my own podcast, so we use Zoom. Yep. Mm-hmm. We use Zoom. Yeah, and we've discovered. You know, I used to do podcasts that were just audio we discovered that video for whatever reason has some kind of appeal and every time I see myself on video I'm like oh my god but okay let's go yes yeah 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 I, I, I keep start like I said I think on the last podcast I keep starting stuff on video because I know it's really important but I hate it so much that it never never carries on so I've I've uh, can come to the conclusion that I'm just not going to do video <laughs> yeah, I, I had to overcome that hump yes <laughs> <laughs> so last couple of questions what about those days where it all goes horribly wrong how do you deal with those days uh well I honestly I journal myself and so uh what I do is I just kind of like take the time I go write it all down so I have a kind of like a, a very quick fix methodology for journaling it's called dump dump and then dump the dump so what does that mean? It means when when you're when you have everything going wrong, write it down. And when you think you're done, no, keep going. Like just keep going. Just get it all out, all completely out of your system and then literally write the words it's time to turn myself around and then start focusing on what you want instead, how you want things to go, what your plan is, what your course of action is, how you envision things to be that are better than they are now. And so I literally use my journal to bring myself to a better state and I just need to do it alone sometimes it helps to just talk it out like just to unload but at the end of the day it's my journal that helps me point in the direction where I want to go yeah yeah do you do I can't remember if the phrase has come from America or not or whether it's one of ours the thing about eating your own dog food it's good to hear that you are doing that (laughs) as in using your own process (laughs) I'm pretty sure that's a that's a British thing (laughs) (laughs) we don't really actually eat it (laughs) but you know what I mean (laughs) yeah yeah I'm joking (laughs) Uh, and what about those days where you get to live more and that's where you get to do more of the things that you want to do and less of the things that you feel you should do or you have to do what does that day look like for you you know what that's almost every day for me not not exactly, but it's almost every day, or I would say it's most of every day. How about mm-hmm. that? Most of every day, because I view my business, frame my coaching as my personal playground, the one I created, the one I invented, where I get to go, stretch, explore, uh, examine, uh, you know, all that stuff. So, uh, you know, imagine going to the gym and a gym with all the equipment that you love and you've created on your own. So by and large, I get to have those days most of the time most of the time. 
of course, mm -hmm. in a day, things happen. You have kids who call you in a crisis and, you know, that's not ideal, but hey, like I wouldn't want them to call anybody, right? Like I'm happy to be the one to be there for them and mm -hmm. on and on and on. But generally speaking, I, I have crafted a life that is a reflection of my own desires and goals. You know, obviously at, like anybody, I still have more goals. There's still more dreams. I'm working on crafting a TED talk right now and it's terrifying living daylights out of me. But hey, you know, again, I've created this playground where I get to decide where I wanna stretch and experiment and win and fail and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, lovely. Well, thank you, Kim. Tell people how they can find out more about you and connect with you. So frameofmindcoaching.com, that's the best place to go. What you'll notice when you go onto the website, we have a podcast, we have blogs, like we have a ton of information, but we also have an invitation to a complimentary coaching call. And I have to tell you, like that call alone will wake you up, will ignite your senses, will have you looking at your own life and your own thinking in ways you've never done before. So I encourage you, it's complimentary, try it out, and, and we'd love to meet you. Brilliant. Thanks, Kim. It's been great interviewing you. Thanks for joining me. Thank you so much. All this information is available in the show notes. If you go to powertolivemore.com forward slash, in this case, 132, you'll find them there. And this week, I just want to quickly talk to you about knee-jerk reactions and not uh, causing yourself work by having them. <laughs> um, I had a podcast booked in um, with somebody uh, that I had to move because I had some client work come in a couple of weeks ago. And unfortunately, she moved it to this week, which is when I then had some further client work with the same client come in. And this work is um, determined, the dates are determined by their client and not movable. So I either can do them or I can't. It's not like I can say I can do that day and I can't do that day and so on. And so I had to unfortunately ask the lady to move the date of the podcast again. And I didn't hear anything back from her. And I realised at the beginning of this week that it was still scheduled in for this Thursday and I wasn't obviously available to do it. And because she hadn't replied, I just didn't want to find that she'd not seen the email and then logged in and was left hanging because I basically wasn't there. I thought that wasn't a very good way of behaving. So basically, I sent an email saying, you know, not sure if I got if you got this email. I'm really sorry I can't do this podcast um, because I'm with the client, but um, please do I don't, I don't think I even said, please do rebook. I think I just said, just checking you've got the email so that you know that I won't be there on Thursday because I sort of worked out that she wasn't going to rebook if she had read the email because she hasn't. <laughs> and uh, instead of just getting an email back that said, uh, yeah, don't worry, I've seen it. Thank you. Which I think is what I would have done. I actually got a quite vitriolic email back saying, not vitriolic, that's me exaggerating, that's how I felt about it at the time, uh, saying that she felt really let down by me and uh, didn't want to do the podcast now and only wants to do things like this for people who really want her and all that sort of stuff. And I'm actually, I, I sort of, I, I get what she's saying, but also I can't, you know, the, the podcast is a marketing tool and something that I enjoy doing. And it's a, a marketing tool, not just for me, but for all of my guests, you know, it's content that we're creating that uh, sort of showcases who we are and what we do. And so it's, you know, a benefit for people to come on the podcast, you know, I would hope otherwise why would they come on it and um, I can't do that and turn down a few thousand pounds worth of work um, which is why obviously I had to move it and um, 
and as I say, if if that had been me and I'd been feeling like that, I still would probably have just replied and said thanks for confirming. Because after all, I only contacted her again this week just so that she knew that I wasn't going to be there. I didn't want her to turn up not realising that I wasn't there because I thought that was you know worse than trying to move it. But anyway, that was the scenario. The point I want to make is that I then thought to myself, oh no, what I need to do is change my process, add in some disclaimers that say that I might, you know, I reserve the right to change the date of the recording or you know sometimes it's necessary to do that because I have client work and I have to jiggle the recordings around that and and I came up with all this thing that I was going to do and then I took a deep breath calmed down and realized that I don't need to do that because this is the first time in 132 shows and I've recorded more than that that it's actually happened and you know the chance of me moving podcasts is slim anyway and when I do move them generally people are absolutely fine about it and we just move them and get on with them and that's sorted and so just reminded me and it's a learning point of something to share with you is when you think you need to do something because of something that's happened or gone wrong or whatever uh, and it's about to create you a load of work just take a moment to think whether it's something you really do need to do you know is it something that's going to happen so often that you do need a process for it or you do need to allow for it or if it's just a blip that is so rare that you really don't need to worry about it and that's the conclusion I've come to for this so I have done nothing about telling future guests (laughs) that I may have to change the podcast recordings because generally I don't. So hopefully that's helpful to you and uh, the show notes again for this week are at powertolivemore.com forward slash 132 and we look forward to speaking to you next week use your power to live more